Amen. We'll go ahead uh, and turn your Bibles to Acts 18, uh, continuing our series in the book of Acts. And uh, what we've seen so far can be summed up well uh, from last week when uh, it's described the work that God has been doing. It's described as turning the world upside down. That the work that God is doing through the church, through his people, by his spirit is, is turning the world upside down. The unexpected is happening. The dead are rising from the grave. Those who uh, were lost are being found. Uh, and, and those who are, are maimed, they're being healed. The Lord is turning the world upside down through his church. And, and as we look at this, I think as we read those kinds of descriptions, I, I, I can't help but say, man, I want to have that kind of effect through my life, right? Like, I, I want to have that kind of effect. I want to be a part of a church that's having that kind of effect, that we turn the world upside down, and that the world is experiencing something new, experiences the inbreaking of God and His Spirit. And, and I think when we, when we think about that, it's, it's easy to buy into a lie. And that lie is that the way you do that is by just somehow being superhuman, Right? That it all is being done by you, that it, it all hinges on you just somehow being this, this superhuman, uh, superhero, and if you can be that, then the world will be turned upside down. And I think I'd be remiss as well. We either think, oh, we got to be superhuman, or there are other things, like in a few days we have something like an election, right? And, and we think the way to turn the world upside down is ultimately through things like elections. And so what happens is every single thing, uh, the entire world and what will happen in the world hinges on this election. It doesn't mean it's not important, but while it influences the world, it doesn't ultimately determine where the world goes. So we're in this moment, I think, in our world, in our culture, where we feel this desire to see our world turned upside down. If anything, it feels like our world is somewhat already upside down, and we need to turn it back the other way. And, and so we feel this pressure. And, and I imagine Paul, in his day, is feeling that pressure as the church is going forward. And Paul, is experiencing that same kind of pressure, learns a lesson that I think is incredibly important for us, especially with the week that we're headed into, and I think, I imagine, no matter what the election outcome is, the season that we're heading, heading into as a nation, as a result, and I'm going to call it the Corinth lesson, Corinth. So in Corinth, it's a city in, in the ancient world, and, 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 and this is where the first and second books of Corinthians are written to. So this is going to be a Corinth lesson. This is when Paul first comes to Corinth and shares the gospel there, and this is the Corinth lesson. God changes the world through investments in people. How is the world turned upside down? How is the world changed? We're going to see here as it happens through investments in people. And that is where God does his most profound and lasting work. So what we're going to do is we're going to look first, we're going to actually walk through, I'm just going to walk us through the chapter and, and see how those investments in people are made and, then, and how God uses that. And, and then we're going to look at three principles of this lesson that I think will help us as we head into this week. So let's pray and then dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you as we gather here this morning and, and so there's such a storm brewing outside and, and there's so much going on in our world around us and we're all over the place from well rested this morning with extra hour of sleep to um, at the same time even with that extra hour just exhausted and bone tired. 
And, and, and Lord, our, it feels in many ways like our, our world is turned upside down already. And Lord, we want to see you turn it right side up. But Lord, help us to see the calling you placed upon us to make simple investments in individuals around us. Simple acts, simple words, simple, simple acts of slowing down and praying with people, of sharing the gospel. Lord, help us to see how that, in the end, is what actually changes the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, watch what happens as we move through chapter 18, uh, starting verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So now Paul showed up in Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So we have Aquila and Priscilla, a couple, because Claudius, who was the ruler in Rome, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, Paul being of the same trade, having the same skills, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So what happens here is Paul has, he goes to Corinth, he doesn't know anyone, and, and he's wandering around the city and he's looking, asking God, okay, who, what would you have me do today? And then God provides this couple, and this couple is going to work making tents, which is how a lot of the people lived in that day, and you can imagine if they set up any kind of events or whatnot, uh, they would need tents, and so they would make these tents, and Paul joined them in this work. And, but Paul doesn't just join them in the work. Paul also shares the word of God with them. And, and, and so just right here, what Paul does, don't miss this, he invests in this couple. Paul, the famous theologian, Paul, the famous missionary, Paul, the one who had massive crowds who would follow him around and listen to him. Paul slows down and says, God, what do you have for me in these two individuals? He doesn't look over them. He doesn't go, oh, they're just kind of a means to an end. He, he slows down and he goes, praise God, you've given me these people. How can I pour into them what you've given me? And so what Paul does is he slows down and he invests in these two. And, and I, I think here's just a, a good question for all of us to consider. We all, in some way, make tents. We all work. We all, have, we all have jobs. We all have vocations. We all have careers. We have, but we have jobs and places and people around us in the midst of those that it's so easy to overlook. It's so easy just to see them as kind of a means to an end of somehow for our career. It's so easy just to see them as something in the way, as something that we're just trying to like get out of our schedule and, and just kind of a, a hindrance to our life. But the thing is, God has placed the people that you work with, he's placed them in your life for a purpose. And he's asking you not to just think when you go to work, just I'm going to work with these people, but also how can I share your word with these people? How can I invest my very life, intertangle my life with these people? And even for you who are moms, who are stay-at-home stay moms, and, and you're thinking, well, my job, I don't really go out to work. But, but the thing is, you're, you're in the neighborhood, and you're, you're with other people. Think about how you can invest in the people around you, whatever your job is. All of us have work that we're doing, and in the midst of the work, we're going to rub elbows with other human beings. And as we do so, we should invest in them as well. So Paul invests in Priscilla and Aquila. And then going on, chapter or verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. So what's interesting here is two guys show up from outside of where, where they're at. They come, they come from Macedonia, and Paul has left them. These are two guys that Paul had previously invested in. 
And, and Paul is occupied with the word. So by this point, though, uh, they, uh, he's gotten busy in the synagogue. He almost doesn't even have time anymore to make tents. So Paul doesn't have an ability to make ends meet. He doesn't have an ability to, he doesn't, uh, 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 can't, can't earn a living. And because the church is so small there, remember, this is the first time they've ever shown up, and this is in Greece, and no one there is a Christian. And so there's no church there to support him. But what happens here is because of those he's invested in earlier, these two actually probably bring the contribution that allows Paul to go to work and not to have to continue or, or to continue to preach the gospel in the synagogue full time and not have to worry about making tents. In fact, this comes up in 2 Corinthians 11 when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, the church here when it's established later, he's writing to them and he describes when this happens, he says, uh, and was I with you and was in need. I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So what happens here is Paul saying, when they came, they provided for my need. See, one of the things is sometimes when we invest in people, we have no idea how God is eventually going to use it. We have no clue. It's it just sometimes when, when we invest in people, it just seems like, what, what, what will this come to? And I, I think I should speak to some of you because this morning, sometimes, believe me, when you invest in people, it seems like what in the world came of that? Like it, it, maybe they just shut the door in your face at some point. Somebody turns on you or you just all kinds of things happen in relationships where sometimes we wonder, is it really worth it to invest in people? And here's the thing. What, what's happening here is God's saying, listen. That's up to me. That's in my hands. You don't know what the future holds, but I do. Right now, invest in those around you. Let me take care of the results. Trust me. Invest in my kingdom. Follow my spirit. It will not turn, return void. It may not look exactly how you would like, but you never know how God will work through the investments that we make in people. And what it does here specifically is it frees up Paul to speak because what happens is now it looks like in the temple, things are going to get, they're going to push back pretty strongly. Paul's going to get a lot of pushback and it's going to become very time consuming. So verse six, and when they opposed and reviled him, the people in the synagogue, going back to verse four, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So what Paul, uh, he's, his needs are being supplied so that he can do this. Obviously, there's a lot of pushback here culturally. And, and one of the things that Paul does here, just I don't think this is just kind of like a phrase. Uh, Paul isn't just kind of here, so, you know, like using a phrase uh, that, that's kind of common in their culture. Where it's just like, well, uh, your blood be on your own heads. Like it's just kind of like, oh, well, whatever, uh, away with you, right? Uh, what's probably happening here is that, remember, if they're in a synagogue and they believe that they have to atone for their sins, they, they have to provide sacrifice for their sins, they're probably at some point throughout the year, they're actually going and killing animals. And, and that sacrifice, those, that, that, the blood of that animal is what's covering their sin. And, and Paul is at pains with them saying, listen, no, nothing that you can do can save you. Nothing that you can do, the blood of those animals cannot save you. And so Paul is trying to impress this upon them and they reject it and they say, no, 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 it's the blood of these animals. And so Paul says, let your own blood be upon your heads. It's a very graphic picture of what Paul is doing here of saying, listen, what you're doing there, that's going to remain on your head. It's not going to atone for your sins. And so this is completely coming head to head 
But Paul can be blunt and uncompromising, knowing that the others support him. In the verse 7, so he has to leave, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. I love this next line. His house was next door to the synagogue. All right, so I love like Paul's in the synagogue, they're like, get out of here. And he's like, all right, fine, I'm going to leave. And he's like, and I'm going to go next door, right? And so he's like, I'll just set up shop, I don't know, like right here, right? So you can imagine now Paul's like on the front porch next door preaching the gospel and whatnot. And they're just sort of like, oh, Paul, right? So Paul goes next door, he continues preaching the gospel. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. So remember, he just left the synagogue. He goes next door to this house of probably this, this Greek individual who's just a, kind of a pagan, and he's in his house preaching the gospel. The ruler of the synagogue then goes over there, and he becomes a follower of Christ. He believed in the Lord, together with, the, with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul, so Paul has invested. Remember, Paul has invested all this time. He's been kicked out. He's been shunned. He's been shut down. But then when he just takes that step next door and he's, he faithfully follows the Lord and continues to preach the gospel where he's given opportunity, look at this individual eventually comes to Christ. He invested hours again that he didn't know. I'm just pushed right out the door where all those hours of sharing the gospel in the synagogue where they just wasted. They weren't. This individual, that investment Paul had made it pays dividends, and he comes to Christ. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And as a result, he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul, at this point, is seeing... Again, Paul, the famous missionary, with the crowds who follow him, who listen to him, who throng to him, is at this point, what, three people who are listening, who are following, who have become Christ followers, who are four people at this point, but Paul's investing every single day, investing in them. And you can imagine where Paul would be feeling because of all the pressure coming against him and, and wondering, will anyone in this city really come to Christ? And I remember once being in a place where it was a rather difficult situation uh, where I was sharing the gospel and there was a lot of pressure coming up against me. And I remember a mentor said this to me and it emboldened me. And I think it emboldened Paul in the same way, these words here that he heard from the Lord. He said, you are invincible until the Lord accomplishes the purposes he has for you. I remember when he said, I was like, what, what, I'm in, I'm in, he's like, listen, if you, when you die, you're immortal. Okay, so it just gets better, okay? <laughs> but right now, listen, whatever the Lord sovereignly is going to accomplish through you until you accomplish it, you are invincible. Like, no one can take your life. No one can remove you from that. Whatever, whatever he is going to accomplish, he is going to accomplish through you. When you go into the city, when you go into your workplace, when you go into your classroom, when you go into your families at the holidays, you can go in there knowing the Lord goes before me. He has a purpose. He has a work. I'm merely joining in the work that he is doing. I don't have to be the superhuman. I don't have to be the superhero. He's gone before me. And you can be confident in that. Then in 12 through 17, 
It kind of comes to a head and says, when Gallio, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, which, by the way, Achaia is like the province that Corinth is in. So think like the county. So Corinth is like the county, see, Achaia is the, uh, the county. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And I love this next line because they say, okay, Paul's doing this, and then Paul gets ready to essentially offer a defense. So like, imagine they have him like in the jury dock, and then it says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter, like, Gallio like knows, like Paul is like, they're like, we're going to have you come up on a trial, and we're going to have you explain yourself. And Paul's like, cool, I've done this many times before, right? And then like the whole city comes to Christ, right? So Paul's getting up there, and they're like, okay, Paul, do you have a defense? And he's like, <clears throat> all right. And he starts, and then Gallio's like, ah, don't let him speak, right? No, 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 ah, right? And just kind of like barks down Paul, and he's like, don't even let him open his mouth. Because whenever he opens his mouth, everyone comes to Christ. So he just like shuts this thing down right here before this can break out. For a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. So he says, we're not going to deal with this in the court today. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized, I feel bad for this guy, Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. This guy just started, remember? Like the previous guy became a follower of Christ. So now the next guy has just started his job and he ends up getting, it says they seized him and they uh, beat him in front of the tribunal um, because apparently they need uh, a scapegoat. And uh, Bagalio paid no attention to any of this. Here's something I, I can't, I just have to say it as a side note here. Gallio just pays no attention to it. Remember, he's a Ro- like kind of this Roman consul. He just rolls his eyes. You can imagine he sees, okay, here's the Jewish people. They have this great faith, right? And they're, and they're in the middle of my city. And, and then they have these intramural debates, though, and the point that they just devastate and blow up one another. And they just, he just rolls his eyes like, there's nothing to this. This is probably about as much as I'm going to touch on the election. Sorry, you might have come here this morning thinking I'd tell you who to vote for, but that's not the point of the sermon. Uh, the Be very wise this week. Because when the world sees us having these intramural debates where we just tear one another apart, we just beat on one another, They end up just walking away and rolling their eyes. Be very wise this week in the way you interact. Like, I know it's going to go ways that we're not going to like. Probably even if our guy wins, if we even have a guy. Even if he wins, the result and the the outcome of that. There's going to be all kinds of things this week. Just be wise. Ask God to help you walk in his spirit. To not just blow one another up. Don't blow up your witness this week is what I'm saying. Don't blow up years of investment this week. Walk in shrewdness, and I know that's not easy, but ask God to give you wisdom in how to do that. Walk in wisdom. Now, the question becomes, these seemingly random stories strung together about investing in people and investing in people, investing in people, and what's going to happen is then Paul's going to leave after that scene, the trial, in 18 through 23, Paul's going to travel, and he's going to take Aquila and Priscilla, and they're going to go to uh, Cesareo for Assyria. They're going to eventually end up in Ephesus, and he's going to leave them there. And then Paul, in verses 22 and 23, kind of goes on this circuit. 
like goes back to some churches, builds them up, shares the gospel and whatnot, but he leaves Aquila and Priscilla back in Ephesus. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Because then in verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. By the way, Alexandria in the ancient world, if you don't know, like Alexandria was the epicenter of, of academia, uh, the epicenter of, of the ancient library of Alexandria. This was where the most intelligent in the world were trained. So when it says that he came from Alexandria, it means that he was brilliant, brilliant. He came to Ephesus. He was in, so remember who's in Ephesus, right? Aquila and Priscilla. So Apollos comes to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So it seems like he was teaching faithfully based upon what he knew. He knew a lot about the life and teaching of Jesus, but as Aquila and Priscilla are going to help him see, he didn't know much about the resurrection and, and the life and the spirit of Jesus. And so in 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they, they kind of take him, they said, hey, you've got a good like kind of master's here. We're going to give you a PhD in, in, in really understanding the full story. You've got most of the story, but you need the last chapter of what happened with Jesus and his resurrection. And then so this gets a hold of him. And in 27, he wished to cross to uh, Achaia. So remember, he's going back. We've seen that place before. He's essentially going back to Corinth. He's going to Corinth. Remember that. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For <clears throat> he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, <clears throat> showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Where is that that he's doing it? The city of Corinth, probably in the synagogue, where Paul couldn't break through to them. What's going on with all these stories? So you look at it and go, okay, interesting tidbits strung together. Chapter 18, Acts, now I got it, right? What, what's going on here? Did you catch what happens? I, I put together a chart here to, to capture this. I had to like organize in my mind because I was like, wait a minute, where are all these cities? Uh, this is what happens in this chapter. Paul goes to Aquila and Priscilla and invests in them. Then in the, at the same time he goes down, he, uh, he invests in Titius, Justice, and Crispus. Remember, those were the first other believers. Then after he invests in them, then Aquila and Priscilla and Paul, they head over to Ephesus in verse 26. And they're there together. But then at some point in verse uh, 21 through 23, he then, uh, Paul goes off to Galatia. Or sorry, sorry. He was with them. They went to Ephesus. Paul goes to Galatia. Then Aquila and Priscilla stay in Ephesus. Paul then comes to them. Paul invests in Aquila and Priscilla, then Paul or Aquila and Priscilla invest in Apollos. And then after they invest in Apollos, Apollos goes down and he goes back to Corinth, back to that original group that was left there in Corinth, and he invests in them and they grow and they flourish. He invests and that continues. Do you see what happens? It comes full circle. And Paul could have never planned for any of this. But this is why later on in Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the church, he says this, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That 
verse that is well known that probably many of us have heard many times before, the grounding of that, where that happens is back in Acts 18, what we've just read, where Paul goes and he's investing and he's planting seeds in whoever's life he can invest in. And then at the same time, then Apollos comes in later and Apollo does his work of watering that seed that's been, that's been put there. But the whole time what's happening is while they're investing in people, it brings glory to God and God to get out of the way and allow God just to do his work of growing that church. See, in Corinth, Paul learned the lesson. God changes the world. That's his part. But our part is to play our role and invest in people. God takes care of the results. So what I want to do is look at three principles of that. And one of the things as we look at this again this week, there's going to be so much going on. So it's, gonna, it's like, look here, look there, look here. Actually, my neck this morning like, has like a pulled muscle. I was like, how much is it like literally? Because I'm like, like, Twitter, Twitter, this, that. Oh, what's going on? World, ah, fire. Uh, and I just, like, I just feel it in my body, right? Like you're just being pulled in all these different directions. Like, look here, look here. As this week, you know, we're going to cast a ballot for the president and lots of other offices. Uh, just make sure you cast a ballot for local, like, Invest in local people. Invest in people in your life. Don't get so hung up on what's going on up here and all the big things that are happening. Remember, in the midst of it, the way that the world has changed is by following the Lord's guidance and just investing in individuals. It's the most important thing that you can do. Principle number one, people are worth your investment. Again, Paul couldn't have done all this. Nor could Paul go on to do what they will accomplish. Priscilla and Aquila, we know in Corinthians, become the place where the house, the church is hosted there. They, they become vital to the church there. Apollos goes on to win more of the city, as we just saw, of Corinth, where Paul couldn't. And then we know from uh, early church father uh, Clement, around 90 AD, 90 to 95 AD, somewhere in there, he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. And we know that that church there is one of the most thriving, important churches in the early church. And it started with just an investment in a few people. It happened one person at a time. Let me ask, do you see the potential of the relationships God has placed in your life? Do you see the potential of those that God has placed in your life in the investment that he's calling you to make? That one person you know, if you're, on a if you're on college campus right now and you're in college, like the, the future Paul of the church may be sitting in your classroom. The future Apollos of the church, the future Aquila of the church may be sitting right next to you in your classroom. They may be working with you at Starbucks right next to you. Moms and dads, let this give you hope <laughs> in your parenting. To see that the most important thing you can do is every single day invest in discipling your children. I, I know in the midst of it, like I have three little ones, I know from day to day to day it can feel like nothing is happening or if anything, like you're just messing the whole thing up, right? Like, and you're wondering, is, is this investment actually going anywhere? Will anything actually happen? Listen, if the church would actually disciple the children in our lives and invest in them, the entire world would be changed in 12, 15 years from now. 
Do not get so caught up in all these things going on around you that you forget to invest in your children. And I, I get that in the moment. It, it feels like it's, it's chaotic. I just, the other day, I just have, just to paint a picture, for those of you who don't have kids, my daughter, she sits down at the dinner table and she goes, I have a cold sore. And my pulls her, look, and she has this big cold sore. And my, my son, he goes, he, go, he goes over to her and he puts his mouth up to her and he goes, then I, he was like, I will help you by breathing on it. <sighs> my wife and I, and Marilyn's like, what the, like, we're all just like, and he was like, hot air, cold sore, right? And we're like, what the, like, we're like, we have, what, what are we not doing right? Like, <laughs> like we have such a long way to go, right? Uh, like, you have those moments where you're just like, are we doing this thing right? Like, are we, where's this thing going? Is there any hope? Like, but invest, like, don't lose hope. Like, God is going to do a work. Invest. Pour your lives into your children. Connection group members. Like, the thing is, your connection group, you're not in there by, by accident. Like, who are the people in your life, in your connection group, who you can invest in? Like, don't be kind of looking for the next best thing, but the individuals in your life. I, this came home to me, the importance of this reality. And I would say, too, if you're wondering this morning, like, one way that you can just take a baby step in this, how do I invest in people? Afterwards, just walk across the room. And ask somebody to lunch. Get in one another's lives. Take that step. Ask someone when you're talking to them, can I just, can I pray for you? Simple acts that allow you to invest and begin to build a relationship. But I remember God used connection groups. At the time, they're called community groups. I've been in community groups, gospel communities, connection groups, life groups, D groups, everything. Anyways, but we essentially it was a connection group. We call them connection groups here at Anthem. They're kind of midweek, like, Life-on-life uh, life groups where discipleship is happening. You're in the Word of God with one another. I w- it was back when I was in seminary, and I was uh, my wife and I were newly married. We we're in Louisville, and we started up a small group. And I- I'll tell you, it was the most hodgepodge, strange grouping of people I've ever. Like we all agreed, it was like kind of when we talked to each other, like is this kind of weird? Or like, yeah, we're a really strange motley crew here. Like we don't have anything in common except for the gospel. And one of the things, I, I struggled with this. Like, I, I struggled because it was like, oh, man, like, is anyone here really, like, talented? I mean, a lot of pride, a lot of pride and arrogance in me that was revealed. And, and I remember my wife just encouraging me, just sit down and get to know all the men in the group and sit down with them and invest. And I, and I did that. And, I invested, and, like, the Bible knowledge was way down here, and it was all over the place. And I was like, what do we, what do we have to work with here? But we just slowly invested and, and worked through things over time. And, and my goodness, how much more they invested in me. But then one of the guys in the group ended up uh, getting brain cancer. And eventually he would go on to, to die of brain cancer. Now, most of us were in like our 20s, 30s, early 40s. We were a fairly young group, so not, we didn't have any ex- much experience with death. And I remember when he died, I was not able to be there. I, I, I can't remember, I think I was flying, the, at that point we were almost moving to California, we were flying back and forth, and... Uh, and so I couldn't be there. And it was like, I, I, I can't, I got to be there. I got to comfort him. I got to be by his bedside. I've got to be there for the family that's coming around. I've got to put together like this care team afterwards to take, I've got to do all this. But here's the thing. When I landed and I got there, they just had surrounded him. And their different giftings were coming out and how they were caring for him. They were, they were pursuing his family and his parents. And they had this whole year like thing where they're going to check in and they were like doing meals for a while and they were just loving on them. They had been there with him, comforting him, 
singing, literally bringing a guitar and singing hymns around him while he died in his bed? I didn't do any of that. God did that. It was just getting over myself and making simple investments. And God took that and he grew it and he made it something beautiful. And there was another guy in the group who, who watered all of that work. When we invest in people, people are worth our investment. And, and, our, and our investment, it multiplies anything we could ever do. C.S. Lewis says this about sometimes when we are how we view people matters. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, Arts and civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And guys, the reason why I'm emotional is just I realize how little, how, how rarely I truly look at people this way, but it's so true. People are worth your investment because people are eternal. The second principle, everyone has a part to play. Apollos, again, couldn't do what Paul did, or what, what Paul, Apollos could do what Paul couldn't. Uh, Paul could plant the church. Paul could, he's kind of that guy, like forehead like Flint. He's just stubborn guy. He gets in there. <laughs> they kick him out of the synagogue. He just goes next door, right? He's that guy. And, and he can start it. But Paul did not have the brilliance that was needed in Corinth to get it to where it was. And so Apollos is brought in. And Apollos uses his debate, his oratory skills, his intelligence, and he's able to move the church to the next level. And Paul will later, again, to Corinth, write about these things. It's just crazy doing this chapter and then reading First and Second Corinthians. But Paul says this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. See, Paul gives his church with all of the gifts that it needs in order to accomplish its purposes. And here's the thing. We talk at, at Anthem about wanting to see, help 1% of Columbia know, love, and obey Jesus. That's kind of our vision for the next three, four years. It's just seeing 1% of Columbia know, love, and obey Jesus. And here's the thing. Some of you have great, like, you have great gifts of knowledge, and, and, and you're able to, to, 
speak the gospel and teach and things like that. And some of you have great gifts of love, of care, and helping others. And some of you have great gifts of obedience and just knowing how to steward your resources and help with that mission. And here's the thing, we need all of it. And and, and no one is more important than anyone else. Listen, Jesus is the head, Paul says. Jesus is the head. All the rest of us, every single part is integral to the body of Christ. And so we shouldn't just invest, like, I'll invest in people who are like me. I'll invest in people who have the gifts that I think are really, really important. No, everyone should be invested in because everyone's gifts are necessary. If they're here and God has placed them here, it's by his spirit, and we trust that their gifting is needed by his wisdom for the work that he's going to call us to as a church. And so we don't discriminate in who we invest in. We invest in whoever God places right in front of us in places in our lives. And Paul didn't get upset about that. He didn't, you know, he didn't like, there's no, like Paul doesn't write in the Corinth later and like Apollos is teaching and Paul's like, oh, actually uh, I would like to do a follow-up on that one, right? Like Paul's not like insecure about this. He's just like, this is amazing. I can can plant and Apollos can water. And because of that, God provides the growth. It is a beautiful picture of how God cultivates the garden of his people. You know, one of the things I was just seeing the other more, uh, day, the Dodgers didn't win the World Series by everyone being a pitcher. Dodgers didn't win the World Series by everyone being a first baseman. You need all the parts of the body. That's how Columbia will know, love, and obey Jesus. And I should say also, we need diverse individuals in the body who are from diverse parts of neighborhoods, parts of this city. None of us is superhuman. None of us can reach the entire city. None of us can reach each individual. But God will use the body of Christ. So invest in one another and watch God work. Last lesson, God gets the glory, not man. Notice again what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Uh, Just read it again. For one says, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of them. What what are any of these people? Who who are any of us? Ephesians 2, 1. We are dead in our sins apart from Christ. We're we're just like a a sock puppet that unless the Spirit of God fills us, it's just lying there. Like there's, there's no strength that any of us have apart from Christ. It's his work. It's him doing it. If any of us can plant, it's because Jesus has gifted us to plant and empowered us to plant. If any of us can water, it's because of God's strength that he provides. But God does the work. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So you can imagine what was happening by this point in the Corinthian churches probably that they were start, they'd forgotten that that's how it was founded. This is years later, 20-some years later, and they're probably debating like, oh, no, no, it's Apollos, it's Paul. Who's really got the best gifting? Who's really the most important? In other words, who at the end of the day is really the glorious one who's making this thing happen? And Paul's coming in saying, if you go down that road, you will destroy this entire thing, because it will be completely operating by fleshly gifts. Some people will feel like they'll become arrogant because they'll feel like they can be the superhuman. And other people are just going to be crushed because they're just going to feel like they can't measure up. But 
But Paul teaches them this final principle. That's all God's work. He provides his spirit. It's by the work of Christ alone that we're saved. It's nothing in us. It's not, it's Paul, God didn't look down through the corridors of time and see that it's like, oh, you'll have this gifting. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on my team, right? That's not how salvation works. In fact, Deuteronomy 7, it says, when God's talking to Israel, he says, it was not because you were more numerous, you were more mighty, you were greater than any of the other nations. It was simply because I set my affection upon you. You are lovable because you are loved by God who decided to set his affection upon you by his grace, by no, nothing in us. Peter will go on to say the same thing in 1 Peter. He says this about our giftings and it bringing glory to Christ when we invest in others and we allow the body of Christ to go to work. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he says, Use these gifts. Use all the diverse gifts and follow the Spirit of God in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Over and over again, Paul and Peter, throughout the New Testament, they're saying, lean into the giftings that God has given you. Lean into the world that God has placed you in in the church. Don't try to be superhuman. Don't try to do it all. Invest in those around you. Do this because it makes much of Jesus. Jesus, who while we were yet sinners, while we had nothing to offer God, came into the world and he invested his life. He took all of his rights and privileges, all of his power, and he divested himself of them just so he said, because I want to save you. I want to make you my own. He says, how can you, when I looked at you and you were so minuscule and there's nothing you could give me, how can you focus on other people thinking, what can they give me? Versus investing in them and laying down your life in the same way I laid down my life for you. And here's the thing, when you do that, you experience and taste the riches of Christ and his grace and his humility in profound ways. But when we go through our life always trying to just kind of juke people and move them out of our way and seeing them as hindrances, we never discover the grace, the humility, the lowliness of our Savior, his gentleness. Here's the thing in closing. A hundred years from now, I pray. We used to ask my old church, we would say, a hundred years from now, here's really how you can tell what you're doing in the church, if it's godly or not. In a hundred years, who gets the applause? And does it bother you that you don't? A hundred years from now, because Jesus should get the applause. God should get the applause. It should be God's work, not manifestly just one individual. And, I, oh, glory to me, honor to me. It's, it's about me. No, it's glory to God. It's his work. A hundred years from now, I pray that when people look at Anthem, they see Jesus. They won't remember who planted. 
They probably won't remember who watered. But they will see the growth that God has provided, the work that he's done. They won't say, you know, just, wow, they were so talented. They had the perfect technique. They, oh, man, they really just had the perfect marketing scheme at the right point in time, and they were able to put this thing together. Or they just had all these amazing teachers, and they just had all these amazing, talented, put-together people. No, I pray that when they look at the church, they say, it wasn't any of them. In fact, you wouldn't believe if you went to that church that all those people actually could even get along and do anything together. It is clearly a miracle of God that he did this work. Some of you will plant seeds in individuals. Some of you will water. But God is the only one who can grow that seed into a mighty oak. And that oak is an oak that will survive through pandemics, future elections, economic booms and busts. They come and go, but the oak stands. And it all starts with simple investments and those God has placed in your life. That is the Corinth lesson. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. In the midst of a time and an age when it's so easy to think that we have to be able to do it all, that, that we have to be the most talented, we have to be the most knowledgeable, we have to be the most omnipresent through social media and whatever else, Lord, in the midst of a day that says that you must be all of it, Lord, thank you for this reminder that we are just called to simply, humbly invest in others, to be intentional, to be sincere, to share the gospel. Lord, I pray that we haven't talked about how this morning and really gotten the details, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would reveal what that looks like to each individual here. Lord, whether that's just sitting down with a coworker and beginning to ask about their life and, 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 where you, and finding inroads to sharing the gospel, just being intentional there. Whether it's sitting down with the word of God with another believer and just walking through the word of God and sharing and talking about you and exploring, diving in and listening to you and discovering new depths of you, of, of slowing down and praying with somebody, of following up with somebody, of getting together and having lunch and getting to know someone, of caring for someone, hearing that there's a need and, and just making a meal, bring, giving them a gift, or whatever it is, Lord, show us where you're calling us to invest. And Lord, through that, give us a hope and show us that in the end, Lord, you are orchestrating all these things to your body throughout the world, and Lord, you are changing the world so that you might be glorified. Show us our part to play in that, Lord. Glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name, amen.